Hello, everybody. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast series discussing cryptocurrency and taxation. Today, we are talking with Tyson Cross, a tax attorney from Cross Law and Bitcoin Tax Solutions, who has been working with crypto for several years. We'll be discussing some of the more complex issues in cryptocurrency taxation, as well as any effects that the 2018 tax law changes may have on crypto. Tyson, uh, thanks for being with us today. Glad to be here, Sal. Thanks for having me. No problem, of course. Uh, so for anybody that doesn't know you, could you please give us a little bit of information about yourself and your involvement in cryptocurrencies? Sure. So like you said, I'm a tax attorney and I focus on cryptocurrency taxation. Um, I first got into the space back in 2013. That was around the time that I bought my first Bitcoin. And what happened was I just started seeing online and in the communities a lot of confusion and sometimes even blatant misinformation about the tax treatment of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So what I did was I wrote a post and put it up on Reddit. And from there, uh, started helping clients with their cryptocurrency tax issues and now have one of the biggest practices in the country. Um, I help investors, day traders, early adopters uh, with tax filing and tax planning. Yeah, it's funny. I actually saw that Reddit post before we had scheduled this interview and I used it myself. I referenced it myself quite a bit. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Um, actually, so there's a funny story about that post. Um, it really got a lot of traction. And so I ended up being interviewed for a couple of different articles on the tax treatment of Bitcoin because back then we didn't have any guidance. And so um, it was a unique issue. And at the time I was working for a tax firm down in California and my boss actually saw me quoted in one of these articles. Um, it was like Bloomberg or something. And, you know, you have to remember back then Bitcoin was not mainstream and a lot of people even had the impression that it was uh, just for drugs or maybe even was illegal. And so he was actually not happy uh, that I was doing this crypto stuff on the side and actually almost got fired for it. <laughs> well, I imagine they're probably uh, kicking themselves a little bit now, given how crypto is so mainstream. Yeah, he actually emailed me last year and said, uh, looks like you were right about crypto. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so do you uh, trade cryptos yourself? No, I don't actively trade. Um, I own a lot of different cryptos and I'm definitely an active investor and user, but um, I just buy and hold. Um, I have a lot of clients who are day traders and frankly, I don't know how they do it. I lost my shirt when I tried, so now I'm much more of just a long-term holder. Cool. All right. Well, then uh, we're going to start with some questions. So my first question to you is, can you kind of give us a summary of the overall tax situation in regards to cryptocurrency for most people in the United States? Sure. So right now we have very little guidance from the IRS. Um, they issued a notice back in March of 2014 that provides answers to 16 questions about cryptocurrency taxation. And it's basically a FAQ. And the notice really only touches on big points and it does very little to address the finer details of crypto taxation that we really do need more clarification on. Um, but for starters, the notice states that the IRS considers cryptocurrency to be property. And so the normal rules for taxing property transactions are what apply to cryptocurrency. And as a result of this classification, every single exchange of cryptocurrency is a taxable event. So that includes using Bitcoin to pay for a cup of coffee, or more importantly, trading one type of cryptocurrency for another. For example, trading Bitcoin for Litecoin or uh, Ether for an ICO token. All of those transactions are taxable events uh, due to this notice. And 
it, it, um, it helps to think of them like you sold the crypto for cash and then use the cash to buy the Litecoin or the cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're exchanging the crypto for. Um, this is a very harsh rule. And I still run into people who say they didn't realize every crypto trade they made was a taxable event. Um, but until we get some kind of rule change, cryptocurrency investors need to be very careful when making trades and always keep in mind that they might be triggering taxable gains when they go to make the trade or even if they just go to use crypto to buy goods or services. Um, the other major point clarified in the notice is that mining is also taxable income. Uh, so the amount of the income would be the price of the coin on the date and the time it was mined. And this same rule would apply for uh, staking or masternodes or any other type of crypto being received um, from the network. So uh, this can also be very harsh, um, sort of like the previous rule about every exchange being a taxable event, especially if the price of crypto is falling because the taxable income is based on one date. Um, but if the price is going down since then, then the crypto being mined might actually be worth less than the taxes owed come tax time. So I generally always advise my mining clients to make sure they sell enough of the mined crypto right away in order to make sure they have enough cash on hand to pay taxes when the time comes. Um, lastly, receiving cryptocurrency as payment for goods or services, um, which includes working as an employee, is also taxable income as well. So again, this means it's important for freelancers or vendors, anybody really who accepts crypto payments to make sure that they sell enough um, and have enough cash on hand to pay taxes when that time comes. Um, aside from these major points though, the notice and in general, um, the IRS's position really has left us with more questions than answers. Um, for example, the notice didn't say anything about the proper method for determining cost basis in any of your crypto that's been sold or exchanged. So that's the issue of whether we need to use first in, first out, which is known as FIFO, or last in, first out, um, which is known as LIFO, or some other method. Uh, we don't know. The IRS has not given us a clear answer on that issue. So the safe approach is probably to use FIFO, uh, but we really need better guidance on whether there's uh, uh, a safe harbor or, or other type of rule that taxpayers can follow to use another method. Um, and lastly, the notice didn't say anything about whether cryptocurrency holdings are subject to foreign account reporting. And that's another issue we really need clarified. So it'd be really great if we could get some guidance from the IRS, but frankly, I'm, I'm not too optimistic. It seems like globally the laws are, you know, changing and, and the government is giving more specific rulings, which, you know, leads me to my next question about changes in 2018, because I know prior to 2018, some people were actually using like-kind treatment to calculate their capital gains. Now we've, you know, been given a little bit more clarity. Can you touch on that? Right. So I think most people in the crypto space by now have heard or know something about like-kind exchanges, but just in case you don't, um, like-kind exchanges are a special tax rule under Section 1031. And uh, the rule says that no gain or loss is recognized on the exchange of property that is of a like kind. And so Section 1031 might provide some relief uh, from that harsh rule I stated earlier that every exchange of cryptocurrency is a taxable event. Um, but that's only if the cryptos being traded can qualify as like kind property. 
And that's really uncertain. Um, myself and others have argued that it can, but honestly, I think we're probably in the minority on that. Um, either way, it's far from certain, um, but it doesn't matter because that all changed at the end of 2017 when the Tax Cuts and Job Act was passed. It specifically amended Section 1031 and makes it applicable only to exchanges of real property. So that door is permanently closed going forward. And that's for all types of property, by the way, not just cryptocurrency. Um, you used to be able to do like kind exchanges on um, collectible coins, um, artwork, uh, personal property like equipment for businesses all of those are now uh, disallowed and, and 1031 specifically now only applies to real property so what about retroactively would you give any advice to people who did file using like kind treatment in 2017 or prior to that do you think people should go back and amend their tax returns or no so there's really nothing in the amendment to section 1031 that applies retroactively and so there's really not a specific requirement for taxpayers to go back and amend prior years due to this change. But I would say that crypto investors, at the very least, need to make sure they understand that they did take a risk by treating cryptocurrency trades as like-kind exchanges. Despite what you may have read online and forums, uh, there really is no clear legal authority saying that crypto does indeed qualify as like-kind property. And so that means that the IRS is free to come back later and reject it. And the IRS would have three years from when your tax return was filed to do that. Um, and in fact, arguably, the IRS may have as many as six years due to some changes in the statute of limitations um, a few years ago. Um, and we don't know how the IRS will actually approach this if they do decide to take a uh, stance on like-kind exchange. They could just quietly audit individual tax returns and disallow like-kind treatment on a case-by-case -case basis, or they could come out with some blanket pronouncement that they don't think cryptocurrency trades qualify as like-kind exchanges. Um, either way, crypto investors who treated their trades as like-kind exchanges would be at risk of having to pay back taxes they avoided, um, plus interest, and then even maybe a penalty, which would probably be, um, in most cases, 20% of the the tax that was avoided so um, you could go back and amend if you're not comfortable with that risk um, and by doing so you'd pay back taxes plus interest but in most cases you would avoid the penalty if you amended yourself uh, but aside from that there's no specific requirement at this point to do that borrowing some further development or guidance from the irs on this issue all right you know, it's, I'm sure a lot of crypto uh, traders are disappointed that they can't use like-kind, but I think it's good that there's at least clarity now that, you know, it's not acceptable to use. At least we're getting some clarity. Yeah, I mean, one way or the other, I guess it is one less issue we have in crypto, but um, that's definitely a glass half full type of mentality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Trying to be an optimist in this crazy <laughs> world of crypto. Uh, so just one more thing about wash sales, because you had talked about how crypto is classified. And maybe a lot of people know this, maybe a lot of people don't know this, but I do have a lot of customers asking if their trades fall under wash sale rules. So can you just kind of talk about that? Sure. So the wash sales rule is sort of the bane of ordinary day traders. And it's a special rule uh, in the tax code that prevents you from repurchasing stock or securities that you sold for a loss within the last 30 days. Okay, now that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but... You get the idea. Um, it's basically to stop investors from 
selling a losing position and harvesting the tax loss and then repurchasing that same stock. Because in reality, their economic position has not changed. They still own the same investment, but suddenly they have the benefit of this tax loss on the books that they can use to offset their other gains from that year. Now, it comes up a lot for day traders, um, and they are forced to recognize their gains, uh, but they may have their losses disallowed by the wash sale rule. Fortunately for crypto investors, the wash sale rule only applies to stock and securities, and that's by the plain language of uh, Section 1091 where the wash sale rule is found. So in light of the fact that the IRS considers cryptocurrency to be property for income tax purposes, that means that the wash sale rule does not apply. Now, I should point out an important caveat here. The IRS has a card it likes to keep in its back pocket and pull out to attack transactions that otherwise don't seem to violate any rules in the tax code. This rule is called the Economic Substance Doctrine. And it says that a transaction must have economic effect aside from just reducing taxes in order for it to be considered valid. So it is possible that the IRS could use the Economic Substance Doctrine to attack a transaction with cryptocurrency that otherwise would be able to escape the wash sale rule. So for example, let's say that you have large capital gains in January from exchanging Bitcoin to buy Ethereum. And let's say that it's now the end of the year and the price of Ethereum has crashed. Now you still want to continue owning Ethereum, but what you could do is sell it in order to generate a loss on the position and then immediately rebuy it. So that loss that you generated would help offset your gains on the Bitcoin exchange earlier in the year. Well, the economic substance doctrine could be used to say that this transaction was invalid because your investment is essentially unchanged. You owned Ethereum before, you owned Ethereum after, all that changed is now you have a tax loss on the books to offset your previous gains. Um, now, one thing that you can do to help mitigate the risk of the economic substance doctrine being applied to your transaction um, is to expose your position to market risk. And that's done by waiting at least several days before you repurchase um, the Ethereum in this example or whatever crypto it is that you're holding and decided to sell in order to harvest the loss. Um, now, the exact time frame that you have to wait has never been tested in court or by the IRS. But if 30 days is sufficient in the stock market, then considering the hypervolatility of the crypto market, I think a few days should be sufficient. Um, generally though, the longer the better. Um, but it's safe to say right now that the wash sale rule itself does not apply to crypto trades. Um, but I would just generally advise people not to be too greedy when it comes to harvesting tax losses and to make sure that they at least consider waiting a few days before repurchasing the crypto that they sold. Right. And I appreciate you sharing that because there are, there are actually a number of people that do, do ask about wash sales and, you know, if they, uh, if they affect crypto. So I think that's good for a lot of people to know. And eventually this type of rule will change as the tax law evolves to deal with cryptocurrency. You know, these types of things uh, will get fixed. And that's because clearly trading cryptocurrency is similar to trading stock. And so really the wash sale rule probably should apply if you think about it. Um, but for now it doesn't. So we might as well take advantage of it. 
So we might get some added clarity and it would just result in more complexities in, <laughs> in trading mm -hmm. for, for people, but at least it's clarity, class half full. All right, so that brings me to, uh, I'm gonna ask you some specific questions that a lot of people are wondering about. First, I'll, I'll start with stable coins. You know, some companies in the US have launched a stable coin where one coin is worth $1. Do you think these will be treated any differently than regular uh, cryptos? No, for tax purposes, there really shouldn't be any difference. Um, stable coins are still cryptocurrencies, so their exchange for another type of crypto would still be a taxable event. I don't see how it would make any difference from a tax standpoint, whether one of the coins in the exchange um, is a stable coin or has its value otherwise pegged to an underlying fiat currency. Okay. And uh, how about um, initial coin offerings or ICOs? They are hugely popular as of late. Can you give us any insight on uh, how ICOs uh, may be treated from an investor's point of view and how the IRS may view ICOs? Sure, so one of the big questions surrounding the ICO space is whether the tokens are a security. But keep in mind, that's only an issue for purposes of securities regulation under state and federal law. It's not an issue for income tax purposes. The IRS has already said that cryptocurrency is a property, so we really don't need to worry about um, whether an ICO token is a security when we're talking about taxes. Now, the tax treatment is very similar to any other crypto trade, where one type of crypto is given up and another type is received. It's a taxable event. Um, the only issue is really with regards to the timing. Your normal cryptocurrency trade is executed instantly, or at least with very little delay. Um, but this isn't really always the case with an ICO. Typically, you contribute funds to a walled address and then you wait until the ICO period closes. And it's at that time that the tokens are released to you. Or in some cases, you have to wait even longer. So really the question becomes for ICOs is when do you realize a gain on this exchange? And unfortunately, there's really no clear answer. You could recognize gain at the time that you contribute to the ICO. But I think the best approach is probably to classify the ICO investment as an open transaction. And that would mean that you would not calculate your gain or loss until the ICO is complete and the tokens are released to you. And that's because the transaction has not been completed yet. You've put in your half, but you're still waiting for the ICO to put in theirs. And so um, it's actually possible that the ICO won't ever put in their half, right? Um, if the ICO fails to meet its minimum threshold or terminates for whatever other reason. Um, so I think from a tax standpoint, it makes sense to wait until the ICO token is delivered to you. And at that point, that's when you would calculate your gain or loss and uh, report it on your tax return. Now, either way, there's no specific guidance on this issue. So I would point out that technically you are free to choose the date you want to calculate your gain or loss on the ICO investment. Um, maybe the tricky part here is the fact that you could have a smaller capital gain if you use the date that you contribute to the ICO, or you could have a smaller gain if you use the date that the ICO ended and the token was delivered to you. Um, and you might be tempted to switch back and forth depending on which one is best for you. I would not recommend doing that. Whichever method you decide to use, use it for all of your ICO investments. And that'll help keep you uh, from having any disagreements down the road uh, with the IRS if uh, they ever happen to look at the calculations that you made for your gain or loss on your ICO investments. Would you agree that it's also the responsibility of the investor to 
communicate with the ICO to understand whether their investment would be considered a security or not? Well, this brings up a separate issue of whether ICO tokens are a security under state and federal law. Now, I'm not a securities lawyer, so take what I'm about to say here with a grain of salt. But I think that based on previous SEC rulings, it looks like most ICOs are probably a security. And I know that's probably not what most listeners want to hear, but the SEC and securities law in general focus on substance over form. So even though um, most ICOs these days are trying to classify their tokens as a quote unquote utility token um, in order to help get around the, the test for securities, uh, which is known as the Howey test, those efforts are pretty shallow. Um, I think in most cases it's not going to fly. So the investor can ask all they want if the ICO is a security. But frankly, I don't think the ICO issuer A would be honest or B, they may not even know themselves whether their token is going to be classified as a security by the SEC. Um, I see. And so this is why you're seeing so many ICOs playing it safe now and only allowing accredited investors to participate. They're trying to stay within a safe harbor for securities offerings and by doing it that way, avoid any risk that their utility token may actually turn out to be a security and get them into trouble with the SEC. And I completely understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, but I also think it's unfortunate because limiting ICOs to investors who are already wealthy really seems to contradict the spirit of decentralization in cryptocurrency. Right. It's an interesting, uh, interesting discussion, especially because so many people are investing in ICOs and I don't think they realize what a, you know, crypto is already a risk and then investing in an ICO is a risk. And now there's tax implication risks that you're also taking. Yeah. But keep in mind, securities regulation is generally concerned with punishing the issuer, not the investor. In fact, really the whole purpose of securities regulation is to protect investors. So if you bought an ICO token and now you're concerned that it might be a security, honestly, I really wouldn't worry too much that the SEC is going to come kick down your door and arrest you for participating in an unregistered securities offering. Um, again, I'm not a securities lawyer, but typically what happens is that unregistered securities cannot be resold to other investors. So if you purchase an ICO token and it turns out to be a security, you might be in a position where you can't sell it. And so you'd end up losing your investment. But I think that's probably the worst case scenario. The SEC really doesn't usually go after the individual investors. Yeah, and you have seen lately in the news that they are certainly cracking down on the, the ICO issuers, as you were saying. So it is a good thing that the SEC is doing that, but it, it just we just need more clarity as usual on these things. Next, I want to talk about airdrops. For example, there was a, a pretty big Ripple airdrop where Ripple was giving away I think $25 worth of XRP and airdrops are pretty common. Can you talk a little bit about airdrops and how they're classified in terms of taxation? Sure. So this is actually one of my favorite crypto topics because honestly, it's just so unique. Um, airdrops are just one of those new concepts that didn't exist until the advent of cryptocurrency. And so along with um, hard forks, they really illustrate how far the tax code has to go to catch up. Um, there's just really nothing in the law that directly contemplates an airdrop. And so we really don't know the proper tax treatment for airdrops. Um, now, the issue is that an airdrop token is essentially a windfall. And windfalls traditionally are taxable income. 
So whether you catch a baseball hit by Barry Bonds, uh, win a car on The Price is Right, or buy a piano in the thrift shop and discover $10,000 inside of it later when you get home, you have taxable income uh, anytime you have a windfall. Um, and so the Internal Revenue Code really says that everything is income unless an exception applies. So it's really a very low bar. And starting with that understanding, I think it's easy if you think about it to see the airdrops could arguably be taxable income every time they occur. But I'm the first to admit this has a lot of problems. First, most airdrop tokens have no value or their value is really hard to determine because they're not trading yet on any crypto exchanges. Um, second, it's essentially impossible to track and report all of the different airdrops that are occurring. Um, I don't know when the last time it was that you looked at your ERC20 token wallet, but there's a new airdrop token every time I look in mine. And most of the time, I don't know anything about the token. So um, it's probably unworkable to say that every airdrop by itself is automatically a taxable event. Um, instead, I think it's much more reasonable to say that an airdrop isn't taxable um, until you've taken some step that evidences your dominion or control over the token. So that would probably mean moving it to a new wallet address. At that point, you no longer have this airdrop token that's just silently sitting in your wallet. You've evidenced that you acknowledge your ownership over that token. And so at that point, you probably should recognize taxable income based on the token's value on that date and time. Interesting. So in terms of trading, then you're saying that it would be safer to assume the fair market value of the coin at the time of the drop as your cost basis. Well, it, it depends on which approach you're going to take. If you're going to recognize income at the date of the airdrop, then you would use the price on that date as both your income and your cost basis in the coin. Um, if you use the date when you moved the token or otherwise evidenced your dominion or control, um, you'd use the value on that date. And you know Bitcoin taxes will crunch that number for you automatically. You just have to choose the date that you want to use. Right. And especially if you're talking about, you know, a $25 airdrop, you're not looking at a huge amount of tax anyway on the, on the income tax. So it's kind of, you know, it's interesting to talk about, but it's not like you're getting a $2,500 airdrop. Right, exactly. Most airdrops are essentially worthless. Um, so I think that's why a lot of investors actually go with a third option, which I haven't mentioned, and that's just to use a zero cost basis um, if and when they decide to sell the airdrop token. Now, this method's certainly simpler because Bitcoin taxes will automatically treat the token as having a zero cost basis when it's sold if there's no corresponding purchase of that same coin earlier. But um, as easy as it is, I really can't specifically recommend this method because it's not technically correct. And sometimes even it would be inaccurate. But in general, um, I certainly see the reasoning behind doing it this way, especially for very small amounts of money on those airdrop tokens. Right, right. I want to talk a little bit about token swaps and token splits. For example, Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash is a big one that most people know about. Recently, there was a Ven and Vet swap. So can you talk about a little bit about those and the tax implications of swaps and splits? Sure. So swaps and splits are very different. Um, so we'll start with splits, which are also known as hard forks, obviously. Um, now, these are very similar in concept for tax purposes to an airdrop. Again, you have a windfall. You're economically richer after the hard fork than you were before. 
and suddenly you're here holding a new cryptocurrency that has value. And like I said, in the tax law, um, those events are typically taxable. And um, if catching a home run ball hit by Barry Bonds is a taxable event, then it would make sense that receiving a new cryptocurrency from a hard fork um, is also taxable income. Is, the, is somebody who, who catches that baseball, uh, do they have taxable income? Yeah, actually there was a lot of controversy about it back when Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire were breaking the home run records um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, the IRS actually initially said that it was taxable income even if the fan gave the baseball back after catching it. Now that caused a lot of public outcry, so they actually ended up reversing their position um, and said that there wouldn't be taxable income if the fan gave the ball back. I vaguely um, remember that, but that's definitely an interesting analogy here. Yeah, and even Olympic gold medals have taxable income. Um, and that was actually just recently changed after the Rio Games uh, due to public outcry. But um, in general, those are the types of principles that apply here. And so um, there's a good argument that hard forks are taxable events. But there's an important issue with treating hard forks that way. Um, generally, you know if you won a car on The Price is Right or if you caught a home run ball by Barry Bonds, or if you won the Olympics, how do you know if there was a hard fork from a cryptocurrency that you own? It's not like you get a notification or someone comes to your door with balloons and says congratulations. So um, there's definitely a problem with saying that every hard fork is taxable automatically when it occurs, um, just like with airdrops. It might be administratively impossible actually to treat it that way. Because hard forks happen all the time and usually you don't even know about them or at the very least don't have any reliable way to value them. So I think we need a different rule. And that's um, like airdrops. I think it's fair to say that hard forks are only taxable when you exercise dominion and control over the coin by doing something like transferring it to a new wallet address. Um, up until that point, you're probably safe just to ignore it. But keep in mind that this approach has not been tested by the IRS, and we really don't know what they or the courts would say. Um, so if you really want to play it safe, you could go ahead and recognize income on the date of the hard fork and call it a day. Just be consistent in whatever method you decide to use. Just like I said with airdrops, don't jump back and forth based on whichever uh, method gives you the smallest amount of income. Right. Uh, now, swaps, on the other hand, are an entirely different issue. They're actually very similar to more traditional tax issues, um, such as a stock split or certain types of acquisitions where a company uses its own shares of stock, um, buys out a, a target company, and the investors in the target company get their shares replaced with stock of the new owner. Um, these generally aren't taxable events because the investor's position is economically unchanged. Um, in the case of swapping Venn to Vet, for example, Everyone's VEN was exchanged 10 for 1 to VET, but the values did not change. It's just the volume that changed, not the actual value. Exactly. So the price of VET was immediately adjusted to one-tenth um, by just normal market forces. And so the investors really were in the exact same position they were both before and after. Um, and so long as no new value is created, then I think it makes sense to say that there's not a taxable event. So my next question, just briefly, I know a number of exchanges are in foreign countries, so foreign exchanges. Um, how do those play a role in taxation if a person is a U.S. citizen or U.S.-based and invests with foreign exchanges? 
Yes, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, first of all, it's always worth repeating that U.S. taxpayers are taxed on their worldwide income. So it doesn't matter if you're trading crypto on an exchange in Asia. It's still taxable income, even if you never bring the profits back to your bank account in the U.S. Absolutely. Um, but the bigger issue, really, when you're talking about trading cryptos on, um, on a foreign exchange is whether those exchanges are subject to foreign account reporting requirements. Um, there are actually two separate reporting requirements under federal law. One is called the FBAR and one is called the Form 8938. And the exact wording for each requirement is different. But in general, they both require U.S. citizens, green card holders, um, and even certain U.S. residents who aren't actually citizens uh, they're all required to report their financial accounts held at foreign financial institutions. So the big question really is whether accounts held at crypto exchanges fall under the wording of these uh, reporting requirements. And it's a really interesting issue because if you think about it, a lot of these foreign exchanges really do operate in a similar manner to a traditional brokerage account. Um, you know, you can buy and sell and trade an asset. Many of them even allow you to use margin. So in theory, um, it would seem like a lot of these accounts maybe do uh, fall within the reporting requirements. But the answer really is that we don't know. Um, this is another area where there's not been any guidance from the IRS and it hasn't been tested in court. So it's really anyone's guess at this point. Um, for what it's worth, uh, personnel from the IRS have said on more than one occasion that the IRS doesn't consider crypto held in an offline wallet to be reportable. And they also don't consider crypto held on an online exchange account to be reportable. But the problem is that these statements were made informally and therefore they're not binding on the IRS and they really can't be relied on too heavily. So I would recommend in this case that you should seek advice from an attorney if you're worried about reporting your foreign crypto accounts. Um, I'll give you the thresholds, by the way. Uh, for the FBAR, it has to be filed if the aggregate total of your foreign accounts exceeds $10,000 at any point during the year. Um, and the 8938 is filed um, if the aggregate value of your foreign accounts exceeds $75,000 at any point during the year or $50,000 on the last day of the year. And those amounts are doubled if you're filing married, filing joint. Um, so if your account balances exceed those values, then you can either go ahead and report just to be safe, or you can seek out advice on whether or not you should report after considering all the other relevant factors. Um, the penalties are pretty stiff if you fail to report and can even include jail time if your conduct is deemed willful. So I would say it's definitely worth seeking competent legal advice based on your particular situation. All right. So recently I read actually an article that there were less than 1% of Credit Karma users reported cryptocurrency trades. So there's very low rates of crypto reporting. Granted, that was only on Credit Karma, but I think uh, the statistic is still pretty valid. Not a lot of people are still reporting their crypto transactions. What do you think about this lack of reporting? Well, look, um, we have an obligation by law to accurately report our income to the IRS and pay taxes on that income. So failing to meet that obligation carries significant risk, uh, which are both civil and criminal. And look, I understand the temptation to underreport, especially in a down market. There are investors out there who made a lot of money on paper in 2017 and 2018, and now they have nothing to show for it. And um, 
we don't currently have much in the way of third-party reporting like we do for the W-2s um, or 1099 from a traditional brokerage. So I certainly understand it can be very tempting to under-report. Um, but just because the IRS doesn't receive a 1099 for your crypto activity doesn't mean you're safe to leave it off your tax return. Um, we already know that Coinbase had to um, surrender records of its U.S.-based customers to the IRS in 2017. Also, there's a rumor that the IRS was able to obtain account records of Mt. Gox um, as part of its bankruptcy proceedings in Japan. So it's certainly possible for the IRS to find out about your cryptocurrency income. And those are just a couple of examples. Um, your bank could file a suspicious activity report. Um, somebody could rat you out. The IRS has a reward program uh, for anonymous tips. And in fact, uh, the guy who blew the whistle on the Swiss banking uh, accounts uh, several years ago received something like $100 million as his reward. So like it or not, I think the IRS um, does have its ways to, to find out if you're underreporting. And unfortunately, the IRS swings a big stick. So two follow-up questions then. About the risk, what are some of the implications for not reporting or uh, paying your taxes? So the answer is that it depends. Um, simple accidents or mistakes usually result in just additional taxes plus interest, but no penalty, uh, especially if the difference in tax was less than $5,000. Larger mistakes or omissions usually get a 20% accuracy related penalty on top of the extra taxes and interest. And that's especially true if the difference in tax is greater than $5,000. Now, if the IRS thinks your conduct was not just careless or negligent, but was actually done purposefully, then they can assess the fraud penalty, which is 75%, um, or even seek criminal prosecution. Now, keep in mind, um, there's generally a three-year statute of limitations for the IRS to make a change to your tax return or assess additional taxes. But there is no statute of limitations for a fraudulent tax return or a tax return that was never filed. So in those cases, it's actually possible for the IRS to come back years down the road and say, you failed to report income in 2017, here's your tax bill plus interest and penalties. So even if you think you got away with it, um, you might not ever actually be safe. Yeah, so um, it's gonna be haunting you for many years. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just real quick, um, I want to be clear about what kinds of things are criminal and what aren't from a tax perspective, uh, because I really don't want someone listening to this podcast to be up all night stressing about whether the IRS is going to arrest them for some kind of tax crime. Criminal tax prosecutions are very rare. Um, if you staked an altcoin last year and made $50 that you forgot to report on your tax return, you're not going to go to jail that kind of omission from your tax return really is not criminal or even fraudulent. Um, now, that's not to say that you shouldn't report it, just that the consequences will not be criminal. Um, really, criminal tax prosecutions only come up when you've acted willfully and with a specific purpose of evading taxes. And that's hard to prove if you think about it. Those are very subjective elements, whether you acted purposefully or knowingly as opposed to just an accident or a mistake. And so that's why criminal tax prosecutions are actually very rare. And they really only happen when there are objective factors that clearly demonstrate that you had the intent to evade taxes. So for example, um, 
you might accidentally fail to report your crypto gains one year. Maybe you gave that information to your tax preparer and he forgot to put it on the tax return. And for whatever reason, you didn't notice, maybe because it wasn't a lot of money. Anything can happen once. But if this happened multiple years, it gets pretty tough to explain that away as an accident. Or if it was a significant amount of money, it's hard to say you didn't notice it wasn't on your tax return. And so that's really when it starts to look like it was done on purpose and not by mistake. So the IRS is looking for these signs known as badges of fraud that your failure to report was not an accident. Uh, the big ones are multiple years or significant amounts of money, like I mentioned, um, but they also include actions done to try to conceal the income. So for example, using a false name to open an exchange account. Now that by itself may not be illegal, depending on the circumstances, but if it's combined with a failure to report your crypto gains, then suddenly that becomes a strong indicator, at least in the eyes of the IRS, that you were trying to conceal your crypto income. Um, another example would be wiring funds to a bank account that's not in your name. Now maybe you have a legitimate reason for doing it that way. Maybe your bank account was closed due to wire transfers from crypto exchanges, which I've seen happen. But unfortunately, the IRS could use that against you if you also have unreported income. So at the end of the day, if there are enough of these indicators or badges of fraud, the IRS may decide that your conduct is criminal and it could refer you to the Department of Justice for criminal prosecution. And um, I actually think that this is gonna be the first kind of enforcement that we're gonna see from the IRS. Um, of course, they could start auditing individual tax returns, but as anyone knows who's done their own crypto taxes, even with software like Bitcoin.tax, it's hard. I honestly can't imagine trying to piece together someone's trading history without already knowing all the facts and circumstances. And so I think it would be really hard, if not impossible, for an IRS agent to do that. So instead, it would be much easier to go after the taxpayers who made a lot of money in crypto and just didn't report anything. I remember back in 2013 and 14, people were saying on the internet quite boldly that they weren't going to report because the IRS would never know a thing. Well, the criminal statute of limitations um, is six years. And so for 2013, it won't expire until April 2020. And we know the IRS has Coinbase records from that time period. So I think it'll be interesting to see if there are any criminal prosecutions coming down the pipeline still for those years, um, which really would be the best bang for the IRS's buck in terms of scaring the rest of the community into compliance. Well, I think it's a it's a good discussion to have. Obviously, it's a pretty in-depth one. And I think anybody, honestly, my own personal opinion that is listening, if you're on the fence about paying you know, your cryptocurrency taxes, get off the fence and just pay the taxes. It's, it's what you have to do. It's what you're supposed to do. It's just, in my opinion, obviously, it's just worth, not worth the risk. But I'm glad that you kind of laid out all the potential punishments for doing it. Because there are a lot of people saying, Eh, they'll never find me. Don't worry about it. And that could get in other people's heads who are on the fence. So I think it's important mm -hmm. to understand that the ramifications of those actions. All right. And how about somebody that only made losses? Is that the report taxes? <clears throat> the short answer is yes. And that's because you sold an asset and therefore you received proceeds from the sale. Um, the only reason it was a loss is because you paid more for the asset than you sold it for. But the IRS doesn't know that. Um, so I would say you still need to report those sales 
and your cost basis on each trade to show that you did not have taxable gain from the sale. Um, and plus the capital loss helps you. So I don't know why you wouldn't file. Capital losses can offset gains from other types of capital assets. If you have gains from stocks or traditional investment portfolios, your crypto losses will reduce the taxes on those. And then you also get to deduct um, up to $3,000 against your ordinary income if you have a net capital loss for the year. So, um, uh, and then whatever's left over can be carried forward to future years. So generally, I would say it's in your best interest to go ahead and file and report those losses. Absolutely, I agree. All right, and then uh, my final question for you is, what is your opinion of uh, where crypto is going in the future in terms of taxation and any regulations? What do you think is going to happen? Hmm. This is tough because a few years ago, I would have said that we would definitely have clear guidance by now. Um, but here we are still in the dark on a lot of issues. Um, you brought up a good point about Credit Karma reporting that less than 1% of people who use their site um, have crypto. Uh, I think that means that as big as crypto was in 2017, it's really still a drop in the bucket compared to whatever the IRS is dealing with um, in terms of tax enforcement. I think it's still a small issue in the grand scheme of things, and it's really not likely to garner much attention. Um, add that to the fact that the IRS is very under-budgeted, undermanned, and overworked. Um, maybe I shouldn't be surprised that we still don't have any guidance, but really that puts taxpayers in an unfortunate position. Um, they have to choose between doing what's best for them, um, which might result in disagreement down the road with the IRS or playing it safe and doing the most conservative option um, so that they don't have any risk of a problem with the IRS, but they pay more taxes. There is discussion, you know, within the government. And as I said earlier, there is definitely clarification happening globally in terms of regulations and rules. And I know that in our government, there's politicians who embrace crypto and who are mm -hmm. trying to, you know, create a conversation about crypto. So I think that's all positive. Yeah, the crypto community is improving in terms of its lobbying effort. Um, honestly, it's kind of blown my mind that for the last four or five years with the kind of wealth that's been um, created in crypto, that such little effort's been put into lobbying to help protect the space or encourage development or gain favorable tax legislation. And I think that's changing, but that's really what ultimately needs to happen. Um, we really need lobbyists for crypto in Washington, D.C., um, pushing for legislation to solve a lot of these problems. Um, if we can get legislation passed that, um, for example, creates a de minimis exception for crypto transactions, that would be huge. Um, foreign exchange has that. If you go buy euros and spend euros, technically those are taxable events, just like they are with crypto. Um, if you buy a cup of coffee with a euro and buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin, they're both taxable events, um, or they should be, or normally would be. Um, the difference is that the tax code gives you a de minimis exception for the cup of coffee purchased with euro. Um, any personal use transaction that produces less than $200 of gain is ignored. And that's one of the reasons that the tax treatment of foreign currencies is so much simpler. If we could get something like that for crypto, it would really go a long way. Um, not only would it make everyone's life easier when it comes to filing taxes, but I think it would also encourage adoption. Absolutely. Um, yep. no. Absolutely. Because more people would be likely to use their crypto on smaller, smaller purchases and not have to worry about, you know, hey, I want to buy a cup of coffee. What, what, are, what is my capital gains tax on this yeah. cup of coffee? Such a exactly. silly thing to think about, but as, as it is now, that is what you have to think about. And as soon as you mention that to somebody, they're done. Uh, once they figure that out, they say, forget about it. I don't want to do that. 
I'm going to take the $2 out of my pocket and just use that. Yeah. Yeah. That de minimis exception would really be nice to get. Um, we also need some clarification about foreign account reporting. Um, the Ways and Means Committee in Congress has actually made several demands on the IRS to provide guidance, and the IRS doesn't respond. Um, which honestly kind of blows my mind, but I mean, it's possible that they're working on something and we might get it, but I'm really not very optimistic. Well, at least there are people working on it. And as you said, it's, it's, it's nice that there are politicians and there are committees being formed. I know there's like some sort of cryptocurrency, like governmental committee or agency. Mm -hmm. um, I've been seeing a lot about that. The SEC obviously is taking a lot of stock in crypto, maybe not for the better of, <laughs> you know, tax purposes and everything, but at yeah. least people are looking at it and discussing it. Yeah, and SEC enforcement is a two-edged sword. For sure. Um, it's tough right now, but in terms of legitimizing crypto and encouraging mass adoption on the long road, honestly, it's probably a good thing. Right, it's, it's almost necessary. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, well, uh, I appreciate giving us all this great information. I'm sure it'll benefit you know anybody from small traders to large-scale traders. It's a lot of stuff that people don't know, so thank you for enlightening us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. I really enjoyed this and uh, thanks for having me. No problem. And uh, how can somebody reach out to you if they want to uh, get in touch with you, Tyson? So the best place to find me is my website, BitcoinTaxSolutions.com. I have some info up there um, that you can read more about crypto taxation. Or if you have more questions, you could schedule a consultation. Otherwise, uh, feel free to reach out to me. My email is Tyson at BitcoinTaxSolutions.com. I'm always happy to chat. All right, great. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Tyson, thank you for joining us. And be sure to stay tuned for more great podcasts from Bitcoin Taxes.